Hello and welcome to another episode of Covenant and Conversation with me, Rabbi Sachs. In each new episode, we'll explore a Jewish idea from the Hebrew Bible based on the Torah reading of the week. Matut, Priorities The Israelites were almost within sight of the Promised Land. They'd successfully waged their first battles. They'd just won a victory over the Midianites. There is a new tone to the narrative. We no longer hear the querulous complaints that had been the base note of so much of the wilderness years. We know why. That undertone was the sound of the generation born in slavery that had left Egypt. By now, almost 40 years have passed. The second generation, born in freedom and toughened, by conditions in the desert, have a more purposeful feel about them. Battle-tried, they no longer doubt their ability, with God's help, to fight and win. Yet it is at just this point that a problem arises, different in kind from those that had gone before. The people as a whole have now have their attention focused on the destination, the land west of the River Jordan, the place that even the spies had confirmed to be flowing with milk and honey. The members of the tribes of Reuven and Gad, though, began to have different thoughts. Seeing that the land through which they were travelling was ideal for raising cattle, they decided that they'd prefer to stay there to the east of the Jordan and proposed this to Moses. Unsurprisingly, he's angry at the suggestion. Moses said to the Gadites and Reuvenites, Are your brothers to go to war while you stay here? Why would you discourage the Israelites from going over into the land the Lord has given them? He reminds them of the disastrous consequences of the earlier discouragement on the part of the spies. The whole nation will suffer. This decision would would show not only that they're ambivalent about God's gift of the land, but also that they have learned nothing from history. The tribes don't argue with this claim. They accept its validity, but they point out that his concern is not incompatible with their objectives, they suggest the following compromise. They came up to him and said, We'd like to build sheepfolds for our flocks and towns for our children, but we will then arm ourselves and go as an advance guard before the Israelites until we've established them in their home. Meanwhile, our children will live in fortified cities for protection from the inhabitants of the land. We won't return to our homes until every Israelite has received his inheritance. We won't receive any inheritance with them on the other side of the Jordan because our inheritance has come to us on the east side of the Jordan. The tribes, the two tribes, in other words, said we're willing to join the rest of the Israelites in the battles that lie ahead. Not only this, but we're prepared to be the nation's advance guard in the forefront of the battle. We aren't afraid of combat, nor are we trying to evade our responsibilities to our people as a whole. It's simply that we wish to raise cattle. And for this, the land to the east of the Jordan is ideal. Warning them of the seriousness of their undertaking, Moses agrees. If they keep their word, they'll be allowed to settle east of the Jordan, and so indeed it happened. That's the story on the surface. But as so often in the Torah, there are subtexts as well as texts. One in particular was noticed by the sages with their sensitivity to nuance and detail. Listen carefully to what the Reubenites and Gadites said. They came up to him and said, we'd like to build sheepfolds for our flocks and towns for our children. 
Moses replied, build towns for your children and sheepfolds for your flocks, but do what you've promised. The ordering here is crucial. The men of Reuben and Gad put property before people. They spoke of their flocks first, their children second. Moses reversed the order, putting special emphasis on the children. As Rashi notes, they paid more regard to their property than to their sons and daughters because they mentioned their cattle before the children. Moses said to them, not so, make the main thing primary and the subordinate thing secondary. First, build cities for your children and only then folds for your flocks. A midrash makes the same point by way of an ingenious interpretation of the verse in Kohelet. The heart of the wise inclines to the right, but the heart of the fool to the left. The Midrash identifies right with Torah and life. He brought them a fire of religion to them from his right hand. And left, by contrast, refers to worldly goods. Long life in her right hand, in her left hand, says the book of Proverbs, are riches and honour. So infers the Midrash, the men of Reuven and Gad put riches and honour before faith and posterity. Moses hints to them that their priorities are wrong. The Midrash continues, the Holy One, blessed be he, said to them, seeing that you've shown greater love for your cattle than for human souls by your life, there will be no blessing in it. This turned out to be not a minor incident in the wilderness long ago, but rather a consistent pattern throughout much of Jewish history. The fate of Jewish communities, for the most part, was determined by this single factor, their decision or lack of decision to put children and their education first. Already in the first century, Josephus was able to write the result of our thorough education in our laws from the very dawn of intelligence is that they are, as it were, engraved on our souls. The rabbis ruled that any town that lacks children at school is to be excommunicated. Already in the first century, the Jewish community in Israel had established a network of schools at which attendance was compulsory. The first such system in history. The pattern persisted throughout the Middle Ages. In 12th century France, a Christian scholar noted, A Jew, however poor, if he has ten sons, will put them all to letters, not for gain, as the Christians do, but for the understanding of God's law, and not only his sons, but his daughters too. In 1432, at the height of Christian persecution of Jews in Spain, a synod was convened at Valladolid to institute a system of taxation to fund Jewish education for all. In 1648, at the end of the Thirty Years' War, the first thing Jewish communities did to re-establish Jewish life was to reorganize the educational system. In their classic study of the shtetl, the small townships of Eastern Europe, Zborowski and Herzog write this about the typical Jewish family, and don't forget they were often very poor. The most important item in the family budget is the tuition fee that must be paid each term to the teacher of the younger boy's school. Parents will bend the sky to educate their son. The mother, who has charge of household accounts, will cut the family food costs to the limits, if necessary, in order to pay for her son's schooling. If the worst comes to the worst, she will pawn her cherished pearls in order to pay for the school term. The boy must study. The boy must become a good Jew. For her, the two are synonymous. In 1849, when Samson Raphael Hirsch became rabbi in Frankfurt, he insisted that the community create a school 
before building a synagogue. After the Holocaust, the few surviving yeshiva heads and Hasidic leaders concentrated on encouraging their followers to have children and build schools. It's hard to think of any other religion or civilization that has so predicated its very existence on putting children and their education first. There have been Jewish communities in the past that were affluent and built magnificent synagogues. Alexandria, in the first century of the Common Era, is an example. Yet because they did not put children first, they contributed little to the Jewish story. They flourished briefly, then disappeared. Moses' implied rebuke to the tribes of Reuven and Gad is not a minor historical detail, but a fundamental statement of Jewish priorities. Property is secondary, children primary. Civilizations that value the young stay young. Those that invest in the future have a future. It is not what we own that gives us a share in eternity, but those to whom we give birth and the effort we make to ensure that they carry our faith and way of life into the next generation. Shabbat Shalom. Thank you for listening. You can download a written version of my commentary and explore all my additional content by visiting www.rabbisax.org. This year, we also have an accompanying family edition of Covenant and Conversation aimed at connecting children and teenagers with these ideas and thoughts. For a family edition discussion sheet on this week's parasha, please go to www.rabbisax.org/cc family edition.